Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about both ministries, and there you can gain access to archives of this radio program and also an archive to full-length sermons as well. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and I'm glad you've joined us. As we turn in our study today, we ask the Spirit of God to open our hearts to His truth, and then we open our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5, where we learn that Naaman, the commander of the armies of the king of Syria, has become a changed man. The sinner wishes to hide from God, but the one who has been made a child of God through the transforming grace of God wants God to see them, and he wants God to know his heart. How do we react to the knowledge that we've been saved by the grace of God alone? Go to Psalms, Psalms 116.12. The psalmist asks a question. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? That's the question we're asking. How do I respond to God's saving of my life? What can I do for the salvation and the grace that God has given me and I have taken from his hand? That's the question that's being asked. And in the next verse, the psalmist answers his own question. He says, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What shall I render? What shall I do for God for saving me? And then he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take more and more of what he gives me. For the grace and salvation that freely offered me salvation for my sins that I so undeservedly received, there is nothing that I can do to pay for it, nothing that I could do to pay to receive it. There's nothing on the backside that I can do in order to maintain it. There's only one thing that I do that is the right response to it, and it's to keep taking what God gives freely of his salvation and his life that he's gained for us. I honor the Lord Jesus for this great salvation when I keep taking what he has so graciously given and provided for me. And as I take it, as I take what God has given, not working for it, but just receiving the grace that he freely wants to pour out to me, not only to save me from the penalty of my sins, but from the power of my sins, and not only save me from that place in which I was driven out from God and I was separated from God, but now in order to draw me near into his presence to enjoy all the benefits of his life, all I'm to do, the work I'm to do is simply take and take and take and take what he gives. And then as I take, what God does is God goes to work. God undertakes a project to continually feed me and give me more and more and more of the grace of this salvation. That's what I do in order to respond to and to honor the great gift that is given to me. I keep receiving and he keeps giving and he keeps working. God goes to work, undertaking a work to provide more and more of his grace to you and me as we receive it, as we take it. So the response in the Christian life and the walk of the Christian life is to live taking what God is freely giving to take God and to let God undertake the work of completely saving us unto the end. And then at that time, he'll pour out a glorification upon our bodies and we'll be renewed and we'll be with him and we'll see Jesus and we'll ever be like him. And all through heaven, it's going to be like this as well. (laughs) He's going to continually, incessantly pour out the grace and the benefit of his salvation upon us and he's going to reveal more and more of himself and more and more of his goodness and we're going to be taking and taking and taking in all these things and That's what's for us to do. 
A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, of which I am ordained, expressed in wonder the exchange of this life of the Christian who's saved by grace in order to live a life of completely taking what God gives so that God might undertake the outworking of that salvation in our lives. He writes this, I take salvation full and free through him who gave his life for me. He undertakes my all to be. I take, he undertakes. I take him as my holiness, my spirit's spotless heavenly dress. I take the Lord my righteousness. I take, he undertakes. I take the promised Holy Ghost. I take the power of Pentecost to fill me with the uttermost. I take, he undertakes. I take him for this mortal frame. I take my healing through his name and all his risen life I claim. I take, he undertakes. I take thee, blessed Lord. I give myself to thee and thou, according to thy word, dost undertake for me. The Christian life, so wonderful. Naaman has been cleansed of leprosy and he's been saved freely of God and he's assured now that God alone is the God of all gods and he exalts in this salvation and this knowledge and now he determines that he will worship this God only and serve him. Naaman is a saved man who is taking what God is giving to him. Now we read on and we'll get to the point of the title of our message. We'll get to the point of that title now in verses 18 and 19. Let's read them together. Now Naaman says this to Elisha, Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimmon, that's the king of Syria, to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servant of this thing. Then Elisha said to him, go in peace. It's all right. Let me explain this to you for a moment. Naaman's going to have to follow the protocols of his service to the king of Syria. This old king will occasionally take Naaman with him to the temple of Rimmon, the god of the Syrians' worship, a god that he now knows is a false god and an untrue god and a god that he will not worship or bow before. But he'll have to bow with the king of Syria because the king of Syria apparently is frail and is leaning upon his arm at that time. And this is Naaman's question, basically. Will God see me? And will God know that in my heart I do not and will not worship women? Is God able to work out all this intricacy? Will he understand? Will he see me and will he know and understand what's taking place? He's asking, does God know my actions, see my actions? Does God, does God know my heart? That's his question. Naaman is not an expert in Hebrew scriptures. He knows very little you think at this moment that what Elisha might have done is said, you know, Naaman, before you take off, I need to give you a little bit of a survey and a little bit of instruction on the proper worship here in Israel. I need to explain to you a little bit about the Levitical priesthood. I need to kind of lay out before you the different feasts that we worship before and the different sacrifices that we make for the different sins that we commit and the different access we want to have to God. And I, I need to give you a little bit of an instruction about the Levitical priesthood. And I need, I need to explain all these things to you, but Elisha doesn't do that. This man knows very little. But he knows that there is one true God and he knows that that one has done this cleansing in his life and he knows that he is from here on out only going to serve and worship him. His theology is not up to speed either. God, can God see me? Does God read my thoughts? Does God know what's in my heart? God is going to lead him. But for now, Elisha says, 
go in peace. God knows your heart to serve and worship him alone. Go and live by faith in him, and he'll open the way before you. He'll make these things clear to you. The God who sovereignly had brought Naaman through the witness of a little slave girl in his household, declaring that there was a prophet in Israel that could bring healing to him. The God who sovereignly brought Naaman to Elisha and brought to Naaman this cleansing and this forgiving. This God sovereignly will work over and go with Naaman as he goes back to teach and instruct him and lead him in the truth because he sees everything and he knows your heart and he knows what you need. Here's the first point to fulfill our sermon title on this. God sees and knows the heart that has been given to him. God sees and knows the heart that has been given to him. For the one who has fully given his or her life to God and taken God's salvation, this is a great encouragement. God sees and knows your heart. Naaman wants to know that God knows. Naaman wants God to see him and understand all that he's doing. And this is a promise and a comfort to know that God knows the little child of faith. God sees it. Basically, I think what Elisha is saying is God knows, little child of faith, what you take of him and what you drink from his cup, and he'll keep filling it up with his grace as long as you'll consume what he's giving you. Just keep taking from him. Just keep taking from him. It's a comfort for those whose hearts are opened and right before God to know that God sees them and God knows what is going on in their lives and what they're thinking. Those who live under the outpoured benefits of the Lord's salvation and the provisions of God's gift of forgiveness and healing and instruction and relationship find great comfort in knowing that God sees and knows all. It's even a blessing to us that he knows us in our doubts and in our fears and in our struggles and in our failures. Knowing that allows us to be open with God when we pray to him. It allows us to get journals and write down honest expressions of our struggles and our difficulties and challenges and write them out before him. Because we know that he already knows, we can be honest with him and we can be honest with ourselves. We don't have to pitch ourselves in a way that's not true. In fact, to do so before others would be false and untrue to what we know God knows and God sees. So therefore, we can freely go to the Lord Jesus for our doubts and find his assurance, and for our fears, and find his comfort, and for our struggles openly confess to him, and acknowledge and find his strength and his power, and for our failures and our sins, acknowledging and confessing them, and finding his forgiveness and his cleansing, and his life given to us in these things. All because we know God sees and God knows. How wonderful for this man Naaman, who knew so little of the ways of religion to know that the God who had delivered him and rescued him from his leprosy saw him still and knew everything that was in his heart. Now our story continues. We move from Naaman, the commander of the armies of Syria, to the servant of Elisha by the name of Gehazi. And that's what we have in the rest of our chapter. Gehazi wants the reward that Elisha has turned down. He wants it. He sees that, he thinks to himself, Elisha has missed his opportunity. I don't know what Elisha was doing. That was crazy. We can use these things. He has accompanied Elisha through much of his ministry. He has seen the miracles that Elisha has performed, and he's heard over and over again the instruction from God's word and God's lips that Elisha has delivered to the people of Israel. He's found himself in the midst of the crowd appearing to consent to all that's happened. 
and to affirm all that's happened and by his presence to affirm it as something that he believes himself. He has presented himself as a follower of the God of Israel and as a co-laborer in the service of that God along with Elisha. We actually first met Gehazi when the Shunammite woman's son had died and she's trying to make her way to Elisha to see if Elisha could have an answer. And, and what we find is Gehazi is trying to resist and turn the woman back from going to Elisha. In that same story, Elisha sends Gehazi on to take Elisha's own staff and to touch the child, see that the child might rise again. And Gehazi goes there and the child doesn't respond. The child is dead and he doesn't rise from the touch of that staff. Now in this passage, we begin to understand why Gehazi lacked wisdom and power in life and ministry. Gehazi goes to Naaman with a lie. Elisha is seeking gifts from you to give to two needy sons of the prophets. Naaman is generous. Naaman is wanting still. He's filled with this joy and delight in what he has received himself. Gehazi seeks to get a reward from Naaman, and Gehazi succeeds. He hides the gifts. Two talents of silver and two bags two changes of garments. And then he returns to his accustomed position before Elisha, where he might continue to affirm by his presence that he believes all that Elisha is teaching, that he goes along with all the words of the prophet. He's there as a testimony to his faith. Gehazi's testimony is a false testimony. He doesn't care if God sees or knows him. He doesn't believe it. But the transformed brother or sister in Christ does. Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life. Go to breadoflifeboise.org for a copy of this message or others. And join us in our next broadcast as we conclude our message called Seen and Known. Until then, may you be blessed by the comfort of living under God's eyes.